0: You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Good afternoon, church. As Will said, um, my name is Alex Moser, and I've been interning with Providence uh, since the start of this year. Most of y'all may know me as the intern, which Will lovingly calls me or Prince Alexander around the office. If you're wondering to yourself, what exactly does the Providence intern do? Does he do interny things? Like maybe make coffee in the morning or maybe when uh, Todd asks him to pull uh, a branch down from a tree. Maybe it's when Kendall uh, asks him to uh, make coffee again. Uh, And then maybe uh, it's Will who has him put together Ikea furniture. The answer to all those questions is yes, I do all those things. Um, In all seriousness, it's been a great joy of mine and I've loved in turning at Providence. I've learned so much, and it's an honor to be preaching today. This summer, we've been going through the story of Jacob and Joseph, a truly broken family, but it's through this family that God has chosen to bless the world. He uses them in spite of their brokenness, and even in their brokenness, he's working heal them, to make them whole. And today we get to see one of the most beautiful examples of that. We're going to be in Genesis 45, which tells the story of Joseph and the reconciliation with his brothers. As I've read the Joseph story, i felt a growing tension. And the tension is really centered around, why does all of this stuff keep happening to Joseph? What has he done to deserve any of this? The people who he loved and trusted most betray him and sell him to a life of pain. And I think for many of us, these questions are not just philosophical or abstract, they're deeply personal. When we look into ourselves, we can see our own pain, our own past, Um, and we can see how people who we've trusted have hurt and broken a relationship between us, or maybe we can see it from the other side. Maybe we see ourselves hurting people who have trusted us. And I think for both sides, there's so much to the story. There's so much pain in this story and in our own. But there's also good news in the midst of this pain. The good news is that God can heal us. And we can experience that healing through the power of forgiveness. I do think there's a lot of confusion about what it means to forgive someone. We throw out the words like forgive and forget and don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Um, And we talk about moving forward and just getting over it. Uh, And I think it makes forgiveness seem pretty easy and that we should all just kind of do it. Um, But forgiveness, I think, is not easy. And from this text, we can see that it's costly. Tim Keller defines forgiveness this way. Forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. But it must be recognized that forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. To forgive is to cancel a debt by paying it or absorbing it to yourself. I think we're going to unpack these ideas today, but the main thing I want all of us to take away is that forgiveness is not easy nor free. Forgiveness comes at a great cost. This scene in Genesis 45 is a remarkable picture for us of how forgiveness works. We will see how Joseph paid the cost of forgiveness with his brothers. It plays out in three stages. Joseph, one, reveals himself to his brothers. Then two, he releases his brothers from their guilt. And finally, three, he reconciles with them. So Joseph reveals, releases, and reconciles with his brothers. And we will see that at every point in this process, forgiveness comes at a great cost. If you have your Bible, please open to Genesis 45 to follow along. This scene in Genesis 45 is the climax of a series of events that began back in chapter 42. Twenty years before this, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery and have been covering up the mess ever since. Then there was a great famine that swept across the land. No one had food, and so Jacob sent his sons to Egypt to buy food. When they got to Egypt, they were reunited with Joseph. But the great irony of the story is that Joseph recognizes them the moment they walk in, but they have no idea who he is. So the tension is the questions of, will they find out that it's him? And, if, and what will he do with them? He has the power to do whatever he wants. That goes on for three more chapters. And then in Genesis 45, Joseph finally reveals himself. Take a look at verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself for all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. It may seem like a simple thing, but revealing himself for Joseph was very costly. All this time he had been hiding behind the protection of a hidden identity. But revealing himself meant he was stepping outside of that and sharing the pain and the cost of that pain. It was letting them see him as he really was and I think if we're honest, that's, that's really risky. When we've been hurt by someone, it's, it's hard to be honest about the pain we feel. Hard to, to acknowledge the pain. Hard to even talk about the pain. And that's a vulnerable place to be. But I think that's what makes Joseph's revelation so moving. Our natural instinct when we're hurt uh, is to protect ourselves from any further pain. Me personally, I have two reactions to when people hurt me. And these are really just forms of self-protection. One is vindictive. This is the, I'm going to give it right back to you with more pain. I grew up with an older brother, so this happened a lot. Um, And the second type is isolation. this is when I escape into my own mind, either in the moment I'm feeling too much pain, I get really overwhelmed, and so I just kind of escape. Uh, I have three older siblings, so I also do this a lot. I'll give you an example from middle school. I just finished the seventh grade, and me and my buddies were just feeling like we were on top of the world. Uh, We were the kings of middle school now, and so we were walking back to my best friend's house, um, and we were just walking in the middle of the street. Uh, Middle school boys tend to just get, you know, really prideful in those moments, so we didn't care if any cars were driving by. Eventually, though, a car did start zooming by, and we all jumped out of the way. But in my mind, I was so mad. We, the kings of the school, had been so offended by this car just driving by. So in the heat of my anger, I spit at the car, (laughs) which does not seem in this moment now like serious at all. It's just spitting. But in the moment, I thought I was being really cool and prideful. But that's where we see the vindictive side of me, right? It's me trying to get back at what that person had done to me. So um, however sly I thought I was, though, that person saw me spit. And so they slammed on the brakes. Now, mind you, I did not hit their car. I am a terrible spitter. (laughs) My brother Luke has made fun of me since childhood about this. But they were angry about just the idea of it, which makes sense. So they started giving me an earful about how disrespectful I was. And this is my other reaction, right? I just retreated in my own mind. I got really red. I got sweaty. I just put my head down. I just like scooted back a little bit. Uh, eventually, they drove away, but I was already long gone emotionally, right? This was just me and myself uh, wanting to get away from the embarrassment because all my friends had saw that. Eventually, they made fun of me for a long time. Um, but really, I, I was hurt by it in, in some way. Um, And so in both reactions, I think we see, in me at least, the same sinful nature. I want that other person to feel the pain that I felt. So when we open to Genesis 45, maybe we're expecting a similar thing in Joseph. We may expect um, to see Joseph have this long, vindictive speech, blaming his brothers, heaping on what they've done to him, maybe even taking revenge Or maybe we expect Joseph to simply keep on with the status quo, right? It might be easier just to keep everything hidden so that he doesn't have to deal with it with his brothers. Instead, though, when we do turn the page to the new chapter, we see something totally different. We see weeping and forgiveness. Joseph can't hold on any longer to these emotions. He's overcome, so he clears the room. It's now just him and his brothers, They only know him as the one in charge, and he can do whatever he wants. And this is what he does. He wept aloud and said to his brothers, I am Joseph. So what does Joseph's revelation mean to us? I don't think we'll ever be in a situation where we have to reveal our identity in order for someone to know our pain. For us, I think this just looks like vulnerability. It means that we let our guard down let go of both our vindictive and isolative um, behaviors. It means letting people see our pain, which exposes us to even further pain. And I think that is risky for us. It may involve weeping, crying. It may involve just feeling that pain all over again. But that is a part of the cost of forgiveness. Whether we are the one forgiving or being forgiven, we have to reveal our true self. We have to be honest with, it, with the other person. Forgiveness simply isn't possible without that type of vulnerability. The pattern in Scripture is that we ought to forgive others as we have been forgiven. So think about how God has forgiven us. He begins by revealing himself. We would have no other way of knowing God unless he shows us himself. And he did this most explicitly by taking on the flesh In the person of Jesus. John speaks to this unbelievable self disclosure. He says, We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus made himself vulnerable. And he made himself vulnerable to those who had sinned against him, and eventually it cost him his life. So that's the first part of Joseph's forgiveness. He reveals himself to his brothers. The next step, though, is even harder. He releases them of their guilt. But what does that mean exactly when we say that he released them from their guilt? To use the language of Tim Keller, it means that we're giving up the right to seek repayment, um, and specifically for Joseph, the repayment of what his brothers had done to him. Releasing them of their guilt means that they don't hold it, he doesn't hold it over them. It means that they don't owe him anything. Joseph tells them in verse 5, don't be angry with yourselves for what you have done. This is really at the crux of what it means to forgive someone. I'll share another example of my glorious preteen years. Um, My first time driving was in the back alley of our old house. So just imagine a narrow alley, which I guess all alleys are narrow, but this one specifically felt extra narrow. On the left was our house, on the right was our backdoor neighbors, both with fences, right? Okay, so my mom wants to give me an example of um, driving. I'd never driven before, so she wanted me to just feel it out. So she just tells me, Alex, all you have to do is release the brake and you'll gently go forward down the alley. I was a nervous kid. And so I wasn't really thinking about what she was saying. I was more just, okay, I'll do it, and just kind of in the awkward state then. And so I go get behind the wheel, and instead of just lightly releasing the brake, I just slam on the accelerator. What eventually happens is the left wheel was turned toe to the left, and I didn't understand that you have to turn wheels before you start driving. So when I slam on the accelerator, I gently tap and then... Just completely go over our fence and eventually almost go into our pool. That didn't happen though, which is great. Um, But when we were all standing there after the wreckage, I at least was thinking, someone is going to have to pay for that. Um, And and what, right, which is probably obvious, but um, so what I saw was that uh, someone had to pay for it, uh, and my parents did pay for it, right? It wouldn't have been forgiveness if they um, just said, Alex, don't worry about it. Nothing's broken. Because the fence was broken. It was on the ground. Our house was just open on the alleyway. So what we see here is that um, they had to pay for my, um, my sin. What I did to that fence as I broke it, they had to pay for it to be rebuilt. Now, they could have made me pay for the fence, that may have been a good parenting move, but what the parents did, what my parents did, is a great picture of what we're talking about today. The reality was that someone had to pay for the fence, and even though they didn't break it, they absorbed the cost themselves. They released me from it. Breaking a thing, whether that's a relationship or a rickety- old fence, costs something. In the case of relationships. That's a deep emotional cost. So when we say, I forgive you, we're not just saying, it's no problem. We're saying that there is a problem, but I'm not going to hold it over you. I'm not going to lord it over you. Let's look at Joseph's release in the text. When Joseph says, I am Joseph, he's telling his brothers not just his name, but he's telling them really his story. I am the one who you threw into a pit and sold into slavery. That's intense. It's important to see that Joseph isn't minimizing what his brothers have done. He's not trying to downplay or say, oh, it wasn't that bad. He even tells them what they did. I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Joseph had never or won't forget what they did. And I think if he had pretended that it never happened, that would have cheapened the forgiveness. So in verse 3, it says, His brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. That word dismayed is, uh, in Hebrew is behal, and that means to be deeply terrified. And that makes sense, because I would definitely be terrified in this situation. So there they all are. Joseph has just revealed himself, and his brothers are there like deer in the headlights, wondering what is coming next. And then in verse 3, it says, verse 4, it says, So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph tells them to come near and to not be distressed by what they've done, because it was God who sent him to Egypt. Instead of focusing on their sinful actions, he was focusing on God's sovereignty in their lives. He later goes on to say this in slightly different ways three more times. And this is really critical. If we are focused on what people have done to us, the wrongs done to us, I think we'll be trapped in our pain. But if we're focused on God and his mercy and his goodness, we can find the power to forgive. But what does focusing on God mean? I think it means that we're letting him be the one to bring justice. We believe that God will eventually bring a final and perfect justice so we don't have to take justice into our own hands. It also means that we're trusting God, that he's at work through our pain to accomplish his purposes. And it means we see our own guilt before God. We're deeply aware Of our own need for him and for his forgiveness, and that compels us to forgive others. And Joseph didn't simply wake up this morning thinking, Oh, I think today I really feel like I can forgive my brothers. Because God had been working in his life for the 20 years before this, and now we see that he's come to a place of trusting God. He isn't holding on to his anger or his pain or resentment anymore. And that gives him the freedom to release them of their guilt. This is also a part of how God forgives us. He releases us from our guilt. Think of Jesus on the cross, being mocked by the crowd. He could have crushed them, ended it right there, but instead he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He doesn't want them to pay for their sins, he wants them to be forgiven. And how could he do this? Well, the night before, he prayed and said to the Father, Not my will, but your will be done. He wasn't focused on the wrongdoing of the people around him, on humanity's wrongdoing. He was focused on the will of the Father. He was willing to pay our debt so we could be released from our guilt. When you experience God's mercy in this way toward you, And you are free to forgive others as you have been forgiven. And for me, I think this is an important application in my own life. Going through Joseph's story and seeing this point of release has been hard for me to grapple with. What does it look like for me to release someone of their guilt? I wrestled with this just a few months ago. Um, There had been a breakdown in communication with my dad, and there was basically our, our family member... Their, their, uh, their health was going down, um, and we just re- weren't really sure what was going on. We heard some things, but we didn't know. Eventually, we were, we were able to get in touch with my dad and his brother, and uh, they told us what was happening. After that, though, I-, I was feeling angry and sad that there was just a lack of communication about it. And, and for the rest of that day, I kind of just sat in that. Um, I was kind of experiencing both that vindictive nature in my own mind but also the isolating I was eventually just crying and in anger and not knowing what to do with myself but I definitely didn't want to let grace or Jesus into that I kind of just wanted to sit in that and hold on to that resentment but eventually one of my sisters told me that I should call my dad and tell him how I feel now for me that's radical like I that's not really a thing I think about I just think just kind of keep going Alex and you'll figure it out But that was just an incredible insight. And so I later, I called my dad and told him how I felt, and we eventually had a really hard but good conversation. And it was only until then that I could really taste forgiveness and truly release my dad from the pain that I felt. I didn't want him to feel bad anymore. I wasn't holding on to that pain of miscommunication Eventually, I I could feel the cost of grace, the cost of release, but I could also feel the weight of grace that I've experienced through God. Because eventually I had to ask myself whether or not I was going to let God into my pain or if I was going to continue to hold on to it for myself. Because when we let God into our pain, we remember that He knows what it's like to release people of their guilt. He knows what it's like to absorb the cost of other's sin. We see that this is what he has done for us in Christ. And this gives us freedom and power to do the same with others. And this is how forgiveness works. We reveal ourselves by acknowledging our pain. And then we release others from their guilt by not, by not requiring them to pay for what they did. And when we forgive, this opens up the third, uh, the third thing. We see here, which is reconciliation. And here we're taking one step further. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Forgiveness is a one way street. You can forgive someone without their participation. But re- reconciliation requires both people, it's two ways. Forgiving someone doesn't mean you trust them, it doesn't mean the relationship has been repaired. But reconciliation requires the rebuilding of trust. The best way to think about this is that forgiveness opens the door for reconciliation. We cannot be reconciled if we have not forgiven. And so this has taken time for the brothers and for Joseph to get to this point. But over the course of the 20 years, their forgiveness and repentance has opened the door for Reconciliation. Look at verse 8 with me. Joseph tells his brothers, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For There are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. This is more than forgiveness, more than releasing his brothers of their guilt. This is a step towards a reconciliation. Joseph doesn't say, I forgive you, you can now go in peace. Um, Joseph says, come near to me. He's saying, go and get dad, bring him back here. You, you, you can live here. I want you near to me. Our kids can grow up together. I will take care of you. All of this time, he's been hiding his emotions. But now we see the love and affection he has for his brothers. In verse 13, it says, Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. That is an emotional and beautiful scene. It's tempting, I think, that um, everything would be easy and clean from this fo- this point, right? Reconciliation, we've got that done, we can check that off. But reconciliation is not easy or simple. It's what we've been talking about, it's costly. Because later in chapter 50, after Jacob dies, Joseph brothers once again become afraid that Joseph will enact some vengeful plot against them you can see that there's still uncertainty, there's still trust issues reconciliation is not a one time experience, it's a process that requires ongoing vulnerability, forgiveness and recommitment to work on that relationship and that's certainly not easy but it is beautiful so what does that mean for us? If reconciliation is a two-way street, then what is the application for us? I think there's two things. The first is that this story gives us hope that one, reconciliation is even possible. Some of us may be so deep in pain and resentment um, over th- these past relationships that we think that reconciliation is mi- millions of miles away. Or we're on the other, other side, when we think that we've hurt someone so badly that they wouldn't want us um, to apologize or whatever, um, I think both groups think that it's, there's too much damage. But if we look at Joseph and, Jacob, Joseph and his brothers, we see a deep betrayal and um, brokenness. But God worked in their lives. It took 20 years, but we can see that they were beginning the process of reconciliation. And I think we need to hold on to hope to that. In our families and in our relationships and friendships, this is possible for us too. Because God has reconciled us to himself, there is hope that we can be reconciled to one another. That's costly, but it is possible. Second, the reason uh, it is possible is because we have been reconciled to God. One of the main reasons Joseph was able to forgive his brothers was because he was able to see God's hand in his life. A few times in the story, it says God was with Joseph. Joseph knew the nearness of God, and that gave him the grace to say to his brothers, come near to me. In Christ, God has said to us, come near to me. I'm not angry with you. My my wrath against sin has been satisfied on the cross. The first step for all of us is to be reconciled to God and to let this grace permeate into who we are. We must build our emotional wealth of grace that we will need when the time comes for forgiveness. And that means experiencing the riches of his his grace towards us in Christ. In the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus offered his broken body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins including those around the table who would eventually sell him and deny him. When we see that he has offered himself up for us to pay our debts, to absorb the cost of our sins, we find the grace we need to forgive others, and we find real hope for reconciliation. Please pray with me. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.